Of all of the different descriptive names that the Bible gives us for the person of Jesus, I think one of my very favorites is the one found in Revelation chapter 5 and verse 5, where Jesus is described as the Lion of Judah. The Lion of Judah has triumphed, is the wonderful uh, clarion call of the book of Revelation. I love the image of the lion, and I love the way uh, C.S. Lewis in his Narnia Chronicles uh, fleshed out that image in such a rich way. Because we find in the person of the Lion of Judah such a, an incredible confluence of qualities that you can't help but be in awe of. I think of a being who is both wildly powerful on the one hand and also so wonderfully attractive. Someone who is brilliantly holy and yet warmly loving. Someone who is tremendously disciplined and fabulously free, full of absolute truth and amazing grace. All flowing together in this one dynamic passage. And the more I look into the face of this Jesus, the more I I really get to know the person of God in the face of Jesus, the more I am drawn, maybe you as well, to want to somehow become more like him. Take just the vision of life that Jesus gives us here in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, This vision of the life of the kingdom of God he gives us there. How do we become someone who exemplifies the quality that's described there? How, for example, do you become somebody so righteous that you are like salt and light in every environment you enter so that your very presence in a room, in an office place, in a classroom, wherever you enter in, changes the environment? of that place for the better. How, how do you become righteous in that way? Or, or how do you learn to love people with the kind of purity Jesus describes in the Sermon on the Mount? How do you love people with a purity that is never tainted by lust, never uh, tinged by anger or self-serving? How do you become somebody who, who always keeps your vows, as Jesus describes in this text? Uh, whose yes is their yes, whose no is their no, who's absolutely full of integrity uh, consistently. How do you do it? How do you become a person who, who even when abused uh, by an enemy, never returns evil for evil, but prays for their persecutors and does good to those who do wrong to them? How do you become someone who, who, who no longer judges others so harshly? How do I get to the point where I actually love to give my resources away? Not out of a sense of obligation, but out of a sense of of privilege to meet the needs of those who have less and not need anybody else to know about it. Just God alone. How do I become like that? How do I become someone whose self-worth is so connected to the treasure that's piling up in heaven for me that I could lose everything here? And still roar for joy. Jesus, I sometimes pray, you live by these standards. Help me to. I I just don't know how to. You're the Lion of Judah. I am an alley cat in comparison to you. Lord, I need your help. How I need your grace. How do I do it? How do you do it? Well, in our passage for... This morning, from the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 7 and verse 7 and following, Jesus Jesus answers that question. And what he says is simply this, famous words. 
I want you to ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. What is Jesus saying to us here? How do we apply it to our lives? Well, for one thing, I think it's important to confess that it's not always easy to ask for something, is it? When I ask you for something, I'm confessing that I am a dependent creature. I'll come here sometimes and I'll put out a plea for volunteers or for financial support during this particular season or some other request. And the vulnerability I feel when I'm up here doing this, I don't know if it shows, but I'm just roiling inside. To be this dependent upon other people for the meeting of needs that are significant to me. Every time I ask for something or you ask for something, we're admitting that there were people with needs which try as we might, we cannot fill on our own. Our decision to ask is always a confession that we're, we're vulnerable creatures and that we'll be at a tremendous loss if the people to whom we're asking decide to do differently than to meet the need out of their own free will. And that's why I suppose many of us spend a lot of our time and energy trying to avoid being the one who asks. We'd like to be the one who answers for other people, not the one who's there with their hand out, with their heart open in need before another person. But Jesus says that until we learn at our core to accept that we are dependent, vulnerable beings, then We can play at the game of faith for years and get no closer to actually having the character of the lion himself. Who himself asked, give me to drink. Stay awake with me. Tell me who you think I am. If we wish to enter into the life of the kingdom of God, we must learn to ask for what only he can give. Abraham Lincoln once said, I have often been driven to my knees in prayer out of the overwhelming conviction that I had nowhere else to go. And there is such wisdom, I think, in these words, because whether we admit it publicly, regularly, recognize it deeply in ourselves or not, we need God, not just on Sundays. Every moment of our day, we need God. We cannot manufacture within ourselves or within our society the kind of virtues that that Jesus describes here in this sermon on the mount, the kind of purity and mercy, the wisdom and humility, the wonderful righteousness that Jesus describes in these pages doesn't just rise up naturally within us as we get older. Oh, I wish it did. It doesn't just fall on us in the night while we're sleeping. These qualities don't get taught to us in a classroom. They don't get acquired simply through acts of self-will. They are certainly not genetic qualities. The kind of righteousness that we see in the life and the teaching of Jesus comes as a gift from above or it doesn't come at all. And the only way to receive it, because God will not force it upon us, the only way to receive it is to accept our dependence and our vulnerability and get down on our knees at the feet of the lion and ask him, Lord, fill me with you.
with your grace and truth, with your freedom and discipline, with, with you. Fill me up with you. What do you need to ask him for? As you go through these months to come, what is it that you most need in your being of him? Jesus is clear, however, that there's a particular way of asking that's needed. If we want to develop the heart of the lion himself, we must be willing not only to ask, but also to seek. To seek, or as some translations render it, to search. Now, this kind of orientation is, at least for me, just as hard as the asking part. I will confess that I am prone to lose things on occasions. I will lose precious objects, say my phone, or my keys, or my wallet, or my children. My usual pattern is to ask my all-seeing wife where these things have gone, where the object of my desire may be, to which she now replies in a very practiced tone, well, have you really looked for it? I, of course, glare at her indignantly, And then stare and explain haughtily that I have searched high and low for it. And what that means is that I have walked briskly through at least two rooms looking for it. Waiting for it to shout out its existence to me or to leap into my pocket. And then usually about that time Amy will depart from my presence with a look on her face that I would not rather not describe in polite company. And occasionally I will follow after her only to be amazed by the sight of her actually looking under stuff. You know, under the furniture and lifting up magazines and moving piles of laundry and searching through the pockets of clothing. Clearly I think to myself, this is a spiritual gift she has. And almost without fail, Amy's results will... Amy's efforts are going to result in the recovery of the object which, up until she got involved, had fallen into a black hole and could be found by nobody of intelligence. Or so it seemed to me. There is a theological lesson in this, I believe. To truly seek after something, whether it's something as small as a set of car keys or something as large as the kind of spiritual abundance that we see in the life of Jesus, to really search after something requires great intentionality. And the question I want to ask you this morning is, does intentionality mark your seeking after the heart and the life of God? Are you setting aside time daily to ask Christ to fill you with his heart, his soul, his mind, and his strength? Are you turning to Jesus for help every single time you run into a tough encounter, a difficult conflict, a, a, a tempting situation, uh, a, 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 a tough choice along the jungle path? Is it your habit to just, in, every time you start to hit one of those moments, to turn and say, Lord, I, I can't do this on my own. I'm seeking your help. Guide me in this. There is no purpose higher than that of seeking a life like Jesus. But that purpose needs more than the quick glance that it may get, get when we pass through the room of the church on Sundays. It's a, it's a daily moment-by-moment moment seeking that's required. There is an additional step of faith that places us in the best position to receive what God longs to pour forth. And I want to try and illustrate it, if I may, with a simple story. 
A certain man was out on safari in Africa when he became separated from the rest of his party and he found himself uh, lost and utterly without food. And stumbling upon an abandoned hut, he ventured inside, sat down, and began to pray, Please, God, send me food. Send food. At just that moment, a knock came upon the door of the hut, and leaping to his feet in joy at answered prayer, he went over and threw open the door of the hut and suddenly stared into the face of an absolutely ferocious lion poised and ready to pounce at him. At which point the man conditioned properly, I might suggest, drops to his knees and bows his head in prayer. And he says, oh, Lord, if you would not send food, then I pray that at least this will be a Christian lion. And on clenching his eyes, the man looks up and to his utter amazement sees that the lion now has dropped to his knees and has folded his paws and is also praying. And in clear English, the lion says, oh, God is great. God is good. And I thank you for this food. Jesus says that we are to recognize our dependence upon God and turn to him in prayer. We are not simply to ask once or wishfully, but with that kind of persevering intentionality native to those seeking after something they know is really precious. But lest we imagine that this whole quest is merely a matter of words and desire, Jesus also adds this one final charge. Knock, he says, knock, and the door shall be opened unto you. Do you know that the word prayer, as used in the New Testament, always implies action as well as thought or desire? In the Greek understanding, prayer the word eukamai, was the act of staying in one place and bargaining with God. That was the Greek understanding of prayer. I sat down or stood someplace and I bargained with God over what I wanted. I'll do this, God, if you do this. It is interesting to note, however, that most of the time when prayer is mentioned in the New Testament, the writers add the word, the prefix, pros, P-R-O-S, to the word eukamai. Pros means toward. To pray in the Christian sense is not an act of bargaining. It is an act of throwing one's whole self toward God and toward his purposes. It is not a passive sitting. It is not a passive waiting like that man in the jungle hut, but an active knocking with our behavior as well as our hopes, much more the lot like the lion in the story. Prayer in the fullest sense is an active lifestyle. Do you really want to start loving a difficult person in your life the way Jesus does? Do you really want to? then sacrifice something to do good to them. You really want to gain control of your anger or your lust towards other people as Jesus seemed able to. Then talk to them and with them as if you really believed they are 
a precious child of God? Do you want to stop worrying so much about the future? Then take a risk for Christ today. In everything, says Jesus, do to others as you would have them do to you. Interesting, isn't it? In this discussion on prayer is this call to do, to take action toward God and others. For prayer is more than just seeking. It's more than just persevering. Prayer is acting as Jesus would act. It is more often than not only when we're in the process of moving actively toward Christ's purposes that our prayers are answered. It's like we said some weeks ago. He doesn't give us the power until we show a capacity to drive in the direction that he wants to see us go. I don't know which part of the character of God that gets described in the Sermon on the Mount that you most need to have become manifest in you as you move into the future. But this I really believe. God answers the prayers of those who ask and seek and knock. He he answers those prayers. And then to emphasize the certainty of that promise, Jesus tells us at the close of this teaching this wonderful little story about the kindness of an earthly parent. You can read it right there. He says that even if even a fallen human parent works hard to give his kids good things, how much more is your perfect heavenly father committed to giving what's best to those who ask him for it? Capturing this ultimate reason for hope in poetic terms, C.S. Lewis tells the story of an encounter between a child named Diggory and the great lion Aslan, who is the Christ figure in the Chronicles of Narnia. Aslan has just commissioned Diggory to go off on a very difficult journey. And the boy demurs for a moment. He's racked by the thought of leaving behind his dying mother. Diggory thinks of asking Aslan to heal his dying mother as a condition of his going on this journey. But he decides against it. He senses that this is a creature far too great to be bargained with. Son of Adam asks Aslan, are you ready? Are you ready to go? Yes, said Diggory. I'll go. I'll go. And as the boy said yes, a lump came to his throat and tears came to his eyes and he found himself blurting out, I'll go, but, but, but please, can't you give me something that will cure my mother? And for a, a moment after Diggory speaks, the air is filled with this terrible silence as the boy just casts his eyes down at the great, powerful claws of the lion. And finally, Diggory looks up, trembling in fearful anticipation of the terrible gaze of wrathful judgment he might find for his request, or even worse, at the blank stare of indifference he might meet on the face of the lion. But what he sees instead in the eyes of the lion are welling tears. 
And suddenly Diggory knows. In the depth of his being, he knows that the lion loves his mother even more than he does. And that he loves him more than he had ever understood. And Diggory knows he can go forth now, no longer fearing the future, no longer fearing what the future holds because he knows the heart of the one who holds the future. As we come to the table of our Lord Jesus Christ today, as we come here to the feet of the lion, dare to ask him for what you need of his character. Maybe it's some aspect of the fruit of the Spirit pictured over there on that window. Maybe it's the capacity to respond to a commandment pictured up here on this window. Maybe it's a vision of some aspect of the character of God pictured up here on this window. I don't know. Whatever it is you most need of his life, ask him for it. Keep seeking it when you leave this place. Even if the answer isn't found right away, keep searching and seeking and yearning for it. Knock with your actions on the door of his kingdom for what you require most will be given. What you long to find most will be found and what you need most to enter into will be opened up to you. Why do I say this with such confidence? It is because Jesus has promised it will be so. And not just in words. It is because this table points us to a cross on which the Lion of Judah demonstrated his love and goodwill for us in tears and shed blood so that we would know that the heart of God can be trusted. His way may be fearsome at times, but he above all is our Father and our Savior, and our friend.